Thanks for pressing play. If you love the serendipitous magic that can only occur in a real conversation, you're in the right place. This is Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different. The real dialogue oddcast for business leaders, entrepreneurs, and category designers with a different mind. I'm producer Jason DeFilippo, and we're very glad you're with us today. All legendary conversations take place on multiple levels simultaneously. And this one is going to keep you coming back again and again. In this very exciting episode, we learn how to build a legendary B2C category and company from one of the hottest founders in a brand new category space. Today, we're joined by Matt Bertulli from Lomi. Matt is a true mission-driven founder, and this is a masterclass on how to be a missionary category designer who evangelizes their category and believes entrepreneurs can do what governments can't. The Lomi was introduced to the world with one of the most viral product launch videos in history, and Matt breaks down just how they did it. Trust me, you're going to come back and listen to this episode multiple times. There's that much here. So please take notes because we want you to rip this off and learn everything you can from Matt. Then apply it to your own category design because this episode is nothing short of distilled legend. This week, Category Pirates is releasing a new and exciting creation to the world. The 22 Laws of Category Design. Name and claim your niche, share your POV, and move the world from where it is to somewhere different. The 22 Laws of Category Design is specifically tailored for entrepreneurs, marketing professionals, business leaders, solopreneurs, and consultants who think different. Through powerful insights and practical advice, this book will give you a unique roadmap to defy conventional thinking and create categories of consequence. Get your copy today at Amazon.com. Now, most CEOs have a tough time answering the most important question in business. Are we going to meet, beat, or miss on revenue? And in tough times, the inability to answer this simple question can be devastating. According to research from our friends at Clary, the average company has 14.9% revenue leak, which is revenue that they earn but that falls through the cracks. In good times and in bad, every drop of revenue matters. Go to Clary.com and calculate your potential revenue leak. That's C-L-A-R-I.com. Now, hey-ho, let's go. Matthew. So good to see you. I know. It's been a minute. I know. It's been too long. Yeah. And uh, I always love hearing about Lomi and hearing about the Lomi stories. I got a fun Lomi story to tell you in this conversation today that <laughs> um, you might not know. But um, but before we get there, why don't we go You know, back? What, what you and Brad and the team have done is really uh, amazing. And I'm not generally a big fan of, tell me your origin story, you know? Yeah. yeah. But in this case, the origin story of what today is Lomi is really quite interesting. And so I've never actually heard you tell the whole story. So could you kind of go there? Sure. I can give you like, I did, I've done this recently. So I'll give you like the, the two minute version. So Brad and Jeremy and I have another company called Pila Case. And we make and invented another category where it was like the world's first compostable phone case. And we made a bunch of stuff. It's compostable. So like obsessed with, sort of the plastic waste problem. Well, 
while we were building this is, Atlas, I don't know if you could tell. I'm trying to show that, it to you, but this is yeah. my Pila case right here on my iPhone. It's a great product. That business. I've sold a ton of these, business. by the way. <laughs> it's freaking awesome. It's such a good product. So that business, we um, had some outside investors. We like scaled that company up. It's still a great company. Like it's a freaking cash cow now. It's awesome. But the problem with that business that we encountered was uh, we make a compostable product, but there's no compostable infrastructure. And we started to notice that this was a global issue. So you've got in the world, I don't know if I told you this, but like, so you've got companies like Pepsi, you know, P&G, Unilever, they've invested huge amounts of money in this transition from single use plastic to easier to dispose. So compostable is the big one, compostable light degradable. So on one hand, the government's out there saying, hey guys, we're banning all your shit in California. You can't sell single use plastics anymore. The company showed up and said, great, we have compostable chip bags, you know, garbage bags and all this crap. And the government's like, oh, yeah, but wait, you can't do that. There's no infrastructure. There's nowhere to put the compostable stuff. So if you took a compostable Starbucks straw and threw it in your green bin or yard bin, when it gets to the facility, they pick it out because they're like, we don't know what's compostable or not. There's no symbol for it. And so, so they just put it in regular landfill and the whole exercise was a moot point. Whole thing's a waste of time. So I went to the board and I pitched the idea for Lomi. And as you can imagine, like, so investors, board, at that time, right? Pila Case is doing well. It's growing. I was told, you're an idiot. You should focus. Why are you getting distracted with this, like, technology that doesn't exist? It's going to cost a fortune to make. You have no proof that this is even, people will even buy this. And and my response you're just an entrepreneur like, chasing shiny objects down rabbit holes. <laughs> right. You know, the, the classic advice from any, and it's good advice, is like, you know, focus. You know, do one thing, do it well, scale it. It's really good advice, except this time. Right? Like, except this one time. <laughs> so, like, because we had, you know, we've got one and a half million customers globally in Pila Case. Like, we talked to a lot of people about this shit. And uh, I just... We decided not to listen to the board and we decided to go make this product. It cost us millions of dollars to develop it. It, it was a hard product to develop, right? This is not an easy idea. Uh, we want to build a giant toaster oh, that can compost dude. food in three or four hours. That's a complicated thing to go do. Yeah. Any kind of hardware is very difficult. Like I, we learned that, you know, Unintended, like the hard way. Like you just <laughs> you learn it by doing it, and it's like it takes a lot of iterations. You're, you know, imagine like we had to we were like we manufacture Lomi in China. Like every single factory we went to that made appliances told us to piss off. Everyone they were like, they said, "That's not category." They you said know? they couldn't they were, do it technologically, or they said it wasn't worth doing, or what did they say? Yeah, they were like, "No, no, that's not a thing. We don't know that, right?" And because you got to think like. But Factories. you're creating something new. Of course, it's not a thing. You're the designer of a new category and a new product. <laughs> but they don't want to. They hate it, right? They want to replicate what exists. The contract manufacturers. Totally. So all of them told us to take a hike. And then we finally, you know, through Brad's connections, we found a toy factory who was willing to build out a whole line, tooling and staff. Like, we like you had to stand the whole thing up. It wasn't like... Like if I want a blender or a microwave or something that exists, I could just call a factory and say like, hey, give me a microwave and I want you to put this this box on it and they'll do it. So the hard part with all of this is like, 
it's making this kind of product or any kind of product like this, it's hard tech, which makes it expensive. It makes it slow. It took years to develop. How much more time did it take to create Lomi than you and the team thought? Uh, like a year and a half. So you were a year and a half off. Yeah. Yeah. And millions of dollars. And what keeps you going when your timetable is clearly being blown apart and you realize that it's going to take more money and more time and your board originally said, hey, you're doing great making these compostable cases. You have a yep. fast growing a D2C business and now you want to manufacture this carbodingulator. We don't even know if there's a market category for it. Nobody wants to build it. And oh, by the way, you're a year and a half late and millions of dollars over budget. Yeah. Thanks for the reminder. <laughs> uh, no, but this is what this is what <laughs> entrepreneurs do, right? You yeah, have you have to have the yeah. the vision, the cojones, the courage to stand in front of your board and go, hang with me here, folks. Yeah, look, I mean look, the lucky thing is we have had and have control of the board and ownership in the business. So we we had you know, more or more that we were within our rights to do so. The thing that keeps you going though, like at least for me, this was a problem that I, like food waste to me was, I hated it so much. And that was like a, a convenience hate, not like, you know, we're a client, like we have a very lofty, you know, climate mission. Like this is very impactful for the world, but personally, like coming from Toronto where we had a organic pickup program for more than a decade. I hated that little bin with a passion because once a month, face faithfully, a freaking raccoon would find its way into my trash and spew it all over my yard. So like this was such a personal passion thing to find a better way to do food waste that I'm like, this is going to work. I know there are more people like me. Like that's what I, like I was so high conviction. I'm like, I promise you, this is an inconvenience that people will want to take away. Yeah. And I could sell that to the board. I could sell it to the team. We could rally around like, this is good, you know? And then like layer in all the positive climate stuff and yep. you can get people to galvanize around that. And look, I mean, our board and our investors, they trust us. We, we've, you know, we have crazy ass ideas and some of them don't work, but man, when they do, they, they really work. So some well, of it's that. Well, and the... The result is, so Lomi's been in market a little over a year. Is that, am I remembering this right? That's right. And Lomi is one of the fastest growing uh, new kitchen products, new categories of kitchen product in more than a decade. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There, and there's so many things unique about it. Try to name another new kitchen appliance if we're going to use that as like the meta category. Yeah. Well, that's where Lomi sits, right? Name another one that people use every day. So like there's been all kinds of fancy cooking shit that's come out over the years. Toaster, coffee maker. Right. Like coffee maker is a daily driver. Right. You know, uh, blenders aren't. No. Toaster, maybe a little bit for the right person. Your dishwasher, your fridge, your stove. Um, that's about it. It's not the soda stream. It's not the fancy pizza oven. Like all of the other stuff that was built for the kitchen is not a daily driver. It sort of fades away over. It's like, it's, it's like I remember the first time I went over to a friend's house who had this bread maker and, yeah. and this, this wonderful couple served, you know, uh, those of us at the dinner party, this homemade bread. Was so what do we do? We went out and bought a bread maker. And, and right. you know how many loaves of bread I've made? Or it's not now. Yeah. 
<laughs> one, two, yeah, cool party trick. It was gone a long time ago. I don't remember. Yeah. But Lomi, you're right. You, I mean, for me as an ecstatic, over-the-top Lomi user myself, I mean, I touch my Lomi at least half a dozen times a day because around here we run it once to twice a day. Yep. So that, that, that like uh, a product in the home that builds habit, that hasn't been done in a long, long time. And the other thing too, the kitchen is like, it's the heart of the home. It's where, that's where the family gathers and like having a habit built in the heart of the home, that's been a minute. Like it's been a long time since that's happened. So yeah, I think we just, we've struck on a, a base of people that like just love the damn thing and you know, it's a daily driver, which is what we wanted for. Like we, you know, even we designed it, Chris, I don't know if I told you this, but like, I remember telling the team, this is going to fit in with the dishwasher. It's going to live near the dishwasher. Cause like, as you clean your plates and you prep your meals, the dishwasher is the, is where the stuff goes. So that rhythm in the home is what we're going to try to build a product around. It's why we made a countertop and not built in. It, what's why we made it attractive. Like we've tried to design it in a way that's like, oh shit, that looks like something Apple made. But it's because we wanted it to live near the, we wanted it to live near the dishwasher. We wanted it to be something that people were proud and like tapped into their ego to display. Because if we knew that the habit was probably the most important thing that we were going for. You know, it's so interesting. You, you've never shared that with me before that specific about where you've envisioned it. And of course I think about our family has three. And yep. I think about where it is in all three cases, and it is very close to the sink, yep. very close to the um, dishwasher yep. for that exact reason. Um, yeah. And I hadn't thought of it as detailed uh, in, in a detailed way, the way you described, but that's exactly what's happened with the Lomis in our family. Well, it's, you know, and the reason for that, man, is like, if you're making a new product, I believe that if like you're trying to make something new, it's very difficult to change people's behavior right so if you're trying to like hey here's a new thing i want you to do as a product builder and designer you kind of have to look at like well what are all the existing patterns rhythms in a person's life and if i'm trying to get a new one i need to sit it next to something that they already do so like james clear talks about this in his book with atomic habits right like if you want to develop a new habit you need to sit it close to something that's like got a positive you know, feedback to you. Like that you have to create that. So like I think that that's the if you're trying to be a category designer, right? That's how you have to look at it. You got to think like this fits into an existing rhythm. Because creating a new one, that shit's really hard. That's such a powerful insight, Matt, that that your new category of product or service must fit inside somebody's life. And so the fact that you folks sat there and said, okay, now, where do we think this would fit if we were successful and envisioned it in the place? And I don't know if in the box, when you ship it to us, it says, hey, you might want to think about putting it right here near the sink, near the dishwasher. I, I, does it say that? Well, every photo that we post, every That's photo. That's where it is. Always there. Because <laughs> yeah. like you're trying to see the idea that like it lives here. And some people, it'll live like in their laundry room. Some people have like a pantry where they keep their appliances. They'll live it, they'll put it there. Like people are putting it wherever they need to, but we want the idea that like it fits in this part of your life. Right. 
right? That's the that's the thing that you're trying to seed. Now let's go to the big, big problem. So one problem is food waste is disgusting in your house and it, yeah. it, it slops all over the floor or the, you know, the, gra- the garbage bag rips. And, you know, I'm the dude who takes out the all garbage. That. And yeah. if you're the person who takes out the garbage in your family, you know what that's all about. So it's never fun. But at a more uh, meta level, if we zoom out, I have read things that suggest that between 40 and 50% of our food gets thrown out. Is is that is, is that correct? Yeah. Matt? I think North America, it's about 40. 40? Actually, I think probably it might even be 40. It's hilarious in a bad way. Yeah. About how much food production never makes it to a plate or a person's right. stomach. Like, you know, and there's all that I think the, the, the nuanced truth there, though, uh, is that like there's loss at the farm, there's loss of distribution. But the really big bucket of food waste is actually in the home, right? It's that like we buy a lot of it, but we don't eat everything we buy. Well, and if you think about most of us, right, at the end of a meal, there's 15 to 25% of that meal that gets scraped into the garbage, plus or minus. But that's not unusual, right? Yeah. And then think of like all the food that like the prep scraps, you know, like the average person doesn't juice that stuff. They don't turn it into a, a veggie stock. Right, like, the top of a carrot the part, or the, the stem yeah, of a, yeah. the stem of a, um, of a, right, all that stuff. Yeah. So I think it's a, it's a very big household problem. It's a major source of like financial loss. The average family wastes a lot of money on food every year. It's like thousands of dollars per person per year. Sure. So like in terms of, you know, this is worth thinking about and spending some time on. Yeah, man. It's like, it's a real issue. Then, then there's the like zoom out even further. If food waste were a country, it would be the third largest editor in the world after the US and China of greenhouse gases, just food waste. Say, say that again for me, man. So if food waste was a country, it would be number three in greenhouse gas emissions after the US and China. Wow. That is how big food waste is. So like when you see somebody virtue signaling over flying right it's bad planet or like driving a gasoline car man look at your fucking dinner plate that is by far your easiest swing like if you're really gonna get you know virtuous about food waste is the thing that everybody can do pretty easily they can just waste less food now let's i know at one point you guys did some spade work or some back of the envelope stuff on the ROI on a Tesla or an EV from oh, yeah. a pollution perspective. So dollars to pollution saved yeah. Yeah. versus yeah, yeah. Lomi on a dollar to pollution saved. Um, d- you did that work. Yes. Am I rem- remembering this? You are. It's, I haven't looked at that a little bit, but like the effectively it worked out to like a Lomi is five times better return on investment dollar for like dollar per you know, kilogram of uh, GHG so like, or CO2E, like carbon equivalent. Um, so sure, by all means, go buy an EV. But if you really want to do something, get an EV all that and, dollar, and get yeah. a Lomi. Yeah, dollars <laughs> deployed to return on environment. Lomi is definitely a win. Definitely, like EVs are great too. Net-net, all the battery sure. crap. Like, it's net-net, they're still a win. Good. Yeah, still got to go that way. Uh but yeah, Lomi is actually like very effective, especially in the U.S. Like we've got terrible infrastructure for food waste here. 
Well, and I think most people, uh, myself included, did not understand how truly toxic food waste is when compared to a lot of other things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, well, food waste, for people that don't know, like if food waste goes to a landfill, which is where I think 70 or 80% of it in the U.S. goes, uh, that is creating methane. Methane is easily 80 times worse than uh, CO2. Wow. It's terrible. Yeah. Methane is 80 times worse? Yes. Fuck. It's lighter fluid. So like it doesn't last as long and it doesn't burn as long, but yep. it burns hotter. So it's it's like I, I liken it to lighter fluid. If CO two is the is the fire, methane is the lighter fluid. Wow. And if the average American home is throwing out somewhere between thirty to forty percent of its food, um, that's why if food waste was a country, it would be the number three emitter of greenhouse gases. Bingo. Wow. Now, if we go back to the product side for a bit, I've never, you've never explained to me, you guys have never explained to me actually how it works. When people ask me, Matt, um, what I say to them is, well, it spins and dries the food. Yep. And there's uh, three or four tiny little sharks in there with lasers on their head that just blast that food down. And between the spinning and the heating and the lasering, it just takes a three-month process and turns it into a three- or four-hour process. And everybody laughs, yeah. and the conversation continues. Nobody's ever actually put me on the mat and says, no, how does it really fucking work? So, Matt, without revealing secrets you don't want to reveal, how does Lomi work? Okay, so uh, the, the the real nuance here, it's funny. We, we, we tell people, like, look, it's the composting process. If you want to get into the nitty-gritty of it, it takes months, right? And the reason it takes months is because like you're you're going for this maturation process. That's what takes time. The degradation of food uh, is like it's a long drawn out process with lots of bacteria and little organisms that you need to make it work. Right. The what Lomi is doing is like we're not accelerating the maturing process. We're accelerating the first eighty percent, which is like the grinding and the getting rid of the the water weight and um, like drying it out. Uh, you know, making sure like what we try to do is control bacteria levels. So like we want healthy bacteria inside of a Lomi. That's what is in there doing a lot of the work. And really what comes out, you want there to be a live bacteria in that output. That's what makes it good for a garden, right? Or a lawn. So what comes out technically is what would be called pre-compost, right? The, the funny thing is, is that from a functional perspective what's coming out of a loamy very now this is like super key what comes out of a loamy is functionally better than compost it's functionally better than the leading organic uh fertilizer in america right now in terms of water retention macro micronutrients uh, soil health we've had all of this validated like the university of toronto is doing this work right like we've had labs do this work for us so you can, like, we've had people get real pedantic over like, that's technically not compost. And I'm like, yeah, but it whips the shit out of compost when it comes to the functional ability and your like your, it's <laughs> utility in your garden is great. So like, what do you care? Right. right? So yeah, if you're- uh, I know it works great like, in our garden. We've got stra strawberries growing 
in, in loamy dirt right now. Uh, we've got, I think, beans growing in loamy dirt right now. We absolutely have flowers growing in loamy dirt right now. <laughs> it is magic. It's like legit It magic. is magic dirt. Yeah. And I think that like the, and that is like the, the experience that people have um, and the science backs it up, right? So there's no sharks, there's no lasers. Like it is just very, very basic science. I think the, the what we do well and in, in even future iterations of the hardware is like we're really dialing in um, like the sensors in the machine, the software that runs it, it controls humidity and oxygen, like heat and all that stuff, right? That's where you can use technology to kind of accelerate the process. And like you're talking about a little bit of electricity, like less than a kilowatt hour per cycle. It's funny, uh, 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 a friend of mine who recently got one uh, and is running it once, twice a day uh, said, this thing's really great, but I'll be curious if, it, if it's eating my electrical bill. <laughs> and, and I just smiled at him and I said, dude, this thing uses less electricity than your fridge. Yes. Right. That I didn't lie when I said that. Right. <laughs> no, it's less than your dishwasher. Like it's per cycle. This thing is very low power. Like we spend a lot of time on that. Right. We really like, that's the thing that we care about, man, is like, we want it to be uh, low power. And then even like future iterations of the hardware, the goal is to make it even more low power while increasing its ability. That's awesome. And if you think about how the product looks, you know, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, Matt. It's, now I'm biased because I love you guys and I love the company and I'm all on board, of course, but I'm a daily multi-time user. And um, everything about it is easy to use, easy to get, taking the top off, um, figuring out how to take the 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 the, um, yep. the uh, pail out, dump the pail. You guys put that little red thingy so that I know where exactly to put the pail back into the loamy. Uh -huh. And then the other thing that I loved the minute I saw it was there's only one button on it. Yeah, the one button thing. <laughs> so tell me how you think about product design and the one button thing, particularly for, like you said, something that's a daily driver. You know... Uh, well, I just think of it from like, I need my mom to be able to use this thing. And my mother is like, I once saw my mom take a phone call, uh, on her iPhone. Like the first time she saw an iPhone, I passed her an iPhone and she basically like yelled at it while it was laying on the, the table. Cause she didn't know what it was. So I'm like, whenever I think of products, I'm like, my mother needs to be able to use this. And she's just so not tech savvy. Um, so I was insistent on like, we need to have one button and our, our team supported this. Because even from a marketing perspective, like think of how easy that is to create a, a visual story. So like our launch video, right? The intro to the launch video was, what if you could change the world at the push of a button? I didn't say at the push of six buttons. I didn't say you had to learn how to use this like new fancy freaking thing. One button, right? And visually you see in the video, like it's a person pushing a button. So that idea of it's easy when you're creating a new category, I think easy become it like you're, you're creating a category. You're just trying to reduce friction, right? Friction to adoption and product design, physical software, whatever is really just about that. It's like, how much friction can I pull out of this process so that like a kid could use it? You know, like my daughter, the first time I brought Lomi home, like she figured it out. There was one thing to do, push the button. Right. <laughs> right. Like that's it. So 
it, you know, if you can't do that, I think that's the, you know, I think that that's like a big opportunity for most people. You know, one of our favorite expressions around here, we actually just wrote a uh, category pirates about it is simplicity is velocity. Yes. And another expression oh. that I love, which is sort of a, a uh, my, my riff off of a Yogi Berra type saying, which is that product is so feature rich, nobody uses it anymore. Uh-huh. Totally. Yeah. It's a weird thing. Eh? You know, uh, from a product perspective, you want simple to simple scales. Um, from a business model perspective, you want perceived simplicity, but like in reality from it, for if you're looking to build moat defensibility, there's a good chance that you don't have something simple. Right. Um, so that I think there's like a, a weird balance that entrepreneurs have to strike between like complexity and business model. And that is a, you start off simple cause you want to scale, but over time you increase complexity cause that's where moat comes from. Um, Generally, there's obviously exceptions to that, but like moat comes from complexity. But man, at a product level, keep that shit simple. Yeah. And um, and then you guys have done an extraordinary job at both marketing the category and the product together. Um, and if I think about in particular the script of that video that you described, so that that, that video was essentially the video yeah. that made the company, was it not? It was. Yeah. That video has been watched some version of that video now because there's a lot of edits of it and 150 million times. 150 million times. I, I mean, I'm in that video. I get recognized everywhere. You get like recognized in airports and shit, right? Oh, yeah. You're airports, the Lomi guy. I got the other day in my coffee shop locally. He's like, hey, are you the Lomi guy? I'm like, yep, this is great. <laughs> um, yeah. Like the last thing you're looking for as an entrepreneur is like notoriety. So uh yeah that video and it's funny like we we spent a lot of time scripting that out and i mean you know this but like i care a lot about the words we use because i think that like this is the language that you're seeding to the market it's what other people are going to use to describe your product and your their experience with your product so like you got to spend time on the words that's where i actually think simplicity really matters is like the shorter the words the fewer of them like you know, can, are they at a grade three, grade four level? Like these things matter a lot. And when we built that video, we angled for how simple and dumb can we make this? Because it's a, it's a very new product. There is a little box in your brain for this product. We're going to need to create that little box in your brain for it. So everything from like visually to what we talked about, where do we show it to the words we use to describe it was how do we make it familiar and simple? And that video just ripped. Still does. Still does. And it's the video that created the category that drove the sales for yep. the fastest new growing, uh, fastest growing uh, kitchen appliance in over a decade. So could you just sort of uh, nerd out on the category design marketing of that video? What, what's the architecture of the discussion? You start with a big promise. Yeah. So the, in that I'm like, I obsess over the question or the first line, right? So like, what if you could change the world at the push of a button? Another variation would be, what if you could get rid of your kitchen garbage at the push of a button? Um, so we, we sort of break up the video. Uh, like we've got a whole template for it. I've shared that. I think there's actually, I did a Twitter thread this, like the whole temp template of like what our video is. Uh, and really it's like, what's the big problem? 
you know, who are you to solve it? How does the solution work? And then you go back to like, what's the big problem? So like you zoom out, you zoom in throughout the video. So like we started out with the question. Then we said, hey, meet Lomi, the world's first blah. And we showed like you, how it works. Then we zoomed back out. We said, I don't know if you know this, but uh, this is like one of the worst things on the planet for climate is food waste. And we showed like, we had this line. It was super, and I did, it, even the cadence of the video, Chris, I don't know if you paid attention. It's like- I paid a lot that, of attention to that video, Matt. And I've sent it to more yeah. people. I always tell people the same thing. This video- is a legendary example of the interstitialing of a category POV with how the product delivers on the promise of the category. And it's yes. very unusual to be able to evangelize a problem and sell a product at the same time and make it work like you're a missionary. And fucking A, Matthew, you yep. sure did. It's, 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 it, is, it is a masterpiece in my opinion. Yeah, I, thank you. It, it was a... It's funny, like, it, and it, you know, when we knew the product, when we knew we had something, we were like, oh shit, this is going to be, this is going to be good. Uh, you know, that even down to the timing of the words and the sections, we spent time on that. We we're like, what are people, what are they going to care about? But like, you don't want to bore the hell out of them, you know, and the, the scenes, how we cut it. So like, you got to switch cuts every like three seconds or so to keep their attention. So we pay a lot of it, even today, man, like our, our creative team, like we actually analyze like your hook rate, your hold rate, how much time do they spend in the video? Where do we lose them in the video when we put something out? Cause like, if you're creating a category, this is video is your best friend in digital, right? It's the way that you can explain something. Um, so to, to get good at that sort of like skill a tactic, it's become our superpower. Right. Like where we, this is a thing that we haul as a company is like, how do we write great scripts and then communicate them? And the interesting thing about that video is not every people don't consume it like it's an ad. No, they consume no, it like, how long is it? Two and a half minutes. Yeah. It's, it's, That's not an ad. it's edutainment <laughs> in a way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we've uh, I got a new one coming for you, man. It's like uh, I came up came up with another line, uh, which is you don't you don't uh, what is the line? You don't do laundry like it's the eighteen hundreds. Why do you still do the trash that way? And that's great. And we got like the intro is like we actually hired an actress and she's like on the farm <laughs> scrubbing her clothes in a bucket <laughs> to paint the picture. Right? It's like what like trash has not changed in hundreds of years you know it it actually changed from when we went from the farm where you didn't waste anything right to living the way that we do now where we waste everything so it was it's just a, we thought it was such a cool uh comparison of like you, you used to churn butter this way you used to do your clothes and like wash your laundry in a bucket and we don't do that anymore right so like why do we do trash like is a 1920 so good. When does the new video <laughs> start circulating? Uh, it's soon. It's coming. Okay. Yeah. And that's going to be entertaining. It's built to be funny. Yeah. Like it's not built to be like serious. Yeah. So. And it's like, um, I don't know why this is connected in my brain, but uh, your videos and Squatty Potty. 
Yes. Right. So Squatty Potty is very far on the uh, entertainment side. Very, very far. And the product sort of lends itself to it, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. However, they employ many of the same category design tactics in terms of positioning the problem, evangelizing the solution, showing, demoing how the product deals with the problem and the solution. So in my mind, there's a lot of similarities. They use more humor, um, but they're- you found a way to talk about something that's very significant, uh, global warming and waste yep. and so forth, but in a way to do it that's inviting and welcoming and yep. I don't feel bad about myself or the world. That's That was the aim, that don't make people feel bad. So that's the hard thing with this type of product category is you can't go into it all fear and guilt. And one of our beliefs at this company is that like when it comes to climate change in general, We've really screwed the plot up, like it's generally right. Like we've we've botched the marketing of climate change to even create the conversation of is it real or not, um, and a lot of that has to do with a a mass media desire to scare the shit out of everybody with everything. And when we were launching this product, we we're like, let we're not going to take a a fear and guilt lead on this. We're going to take a inspiration, hope innovation, like check this out. How cool is this? Look what you can do. Community. Like there's so many other things that you could stack to achieve just as powerful a result as like, you're going to die. You know, it's just, in my opinion, creating a category and building a brand around a category, like building it underneath the category. um, You've got to lead with something that is worth spreading. Yes. Fear and guilt aren't. And even in the video, there's a part of the script where you say something to the effect of, you know, governments can't or won't do anything about this, So, but we can, yeah. or something to that effect, yes? Yeah, that was a rallying call, right? Yes. It was like a, you know, and that was a just identifying that like where we're at in the world is that we collectively, I think if you're an educated person, chances are you listen to this podcast, you are. Uh, yeah, like governments are bloated and incompetent, largely speaking, right? So- you know, it doesn't mean that they don't have function, that they don't have value. I'm not saying that at all. It's just that we have problems that need some speed in their solution. Well, and, and this is the other thing. No pers- Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Yeah. This is the other, look, I, I'm radically biased towards innovation, entrepreneurship, and new, new categories. But I think biased for a reason. And that is, um, I agree with you. There's a huge role for the government. There's a huge role for non um, capitalist science to play in a lot of these things for sure. And yep. we know that the entrepreneurial drive, the innovation drive, the economic drive to solve problems, um, yields an outcome that, that just a government or just a nonprofit yep. NGO will not achieve. That is a, and yep. so, you know, entrepreneurship for good is a real fucking thing. And one of the things I love so much about you guys is I, that's absolutely what you're doing. You're a capitalist. You want to make yes. money. You're not kidding about that. And you're solving a big problem and you're using an economic incentive to solve that problem. Yes. Yeah. You've heard us talk about this. Like I, we believe that capitalism is, is a wonderful mechanism for change. And like capitalism is responsible for the quality of life that so many of us enjoy in the world. It really is. You can't argue that. Now, nobody is saying, and we aren't saying that like government doesn't have a role. That's not at all what we're saying, right? Well, 
all we said in the video is like, together we can do something that big governments and big business have not been able to do. And that that's just true. You know, when 70 or 80% of the United States is throwing their food in the trash and other parts of the world have figured this out 20 or 30 years ago, that is a failure of government big business. Yes. And there's a reason for that, right? The incentives are misaligned. Like waste management companies, that whole category, they are absolute cash cows, right? I've said this a thousand times and I'll say it a thousand more times. Trash is a better business than debt. You die once, you throw shit out your whole life. Those companies love you. Keep throwing crap out. They don't care how you do it. They make a ton of money on landfills, right? It's all And the more dollars. crap, the more garbage, the better. The better. It's better for them that we aren't good at this. Well, and so, here's the other crazy thing. I remember the first time somebody said this to me. It stopped me in my tracks. I'd never quite thought about it this way. Garbage is a human invention. Yes. There's no garbage in yeah. nature, period. Yeah, we created it. We created we it. it. So if so we, we totally if we fucked it, we can unfuck it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's that and that's become our like I'm, you know, I'm a software engineer by trade and I've become weirdly obsessed with like waste. And it's I mean like you got to think too like waste management, man, that's a two and a half trillion dollar a year industry globally. 2.5 trillion you know, when, when everybody freaks out over Uber's TAMP, I'm like, hold the fuck. Do you know how much trash is? Like, it is the ultimate category. And so in that sense, Lomi is decreasing the TAM for waste management companies. That's it. One of the, and I stole that from Shopify. I heard Harley or Toby say this years ago and i can't remember if they've even said it publicly or if this was an event so if they're listening i'm sorry guys i heard them once say like look our goal is to shrink the size of the enterprise commerce market software market but we're going to own more of it right and, yes. and i remember hearing that thinking like oh man that's scary but i think that actually might be smart and then when we got to lomi we were like well, we're probably going to shrink the size of certain parts of waste yes. particularly around organics and compostables but we're going to net net, I think we're going to increase the overall value of waste because we're going to find better uses for it. Well, so maybe we can go there. I remember it was you or Brad, I can't remember which one, but it was definitely you guys who said to me that as a result of global warming and climate change, we now have a dirt crisis on the planet. That is to say- Yeah, there's a soil issue. Yeah. yeah. So, so just pop the hood on that one for a sec, if you could. Yeah, we're, yeah, this is the funny thing with the, the super cool part of Loamy is like, it touches a lot of different industries in a lot of different problems. So there's a topsoil problem. Uh, there's argument over how big of a topsoil problem, all that crap. But here's the, the thing that like really lit us up when we were early days developing this is this idea of like, what if every home in America was a soil manufacturing machine? So like every single home was contributing to the regeneration of topsoil. And that's where like why we care about the quality of what comes out of a loamy, because if it gets back to the earth, that is the best place for your non-uneaten food to go. It isn't to feed other animals. It isn't like to go to the trash. It is literally to grow more food. Healthy soil will grow food for freaking ever. Like, you know this, you guys have a family farm. 
Like taking care of the soil is about as important as it gets. It's like up there with please don't destroy the ocean. You know, like we need those two things to be really good. Um, the other side benefit is that uh, soil, like healthy soil, is actually one of the greatest carbon capture technologies we have. The most scalable. Healthy topsoil sequesters more carbon. That's just fact. So amazing. And, you know, it's it's interesting. You're, you're absolutely right about this is where you want it to be. In the farm, we still do it because we have so much of it. But fruit waste, because we're primarily a fruit or orchard, we throw under the trees. Uh-huh. Because it's going to compost there. Yep. Right? And so that's where we put it for that exact reason. Obviously, we use loamy a ton now, which is also what I want to uh, share with you about. So... So our f- small little family farm that is now the last working uh, farm in San Jose, California, we sort of had this aha, which is, wait a minute, this loamy dirt is really valuable. And we use a bunch of it, but we are running, uh, in our case, three loamies two and three times a day each. Um, so we produce more than we need. Uh-huh. So we decided, huh, I wonder if we could sell the loamy dirt. Wow. And we found these compostable bags that you can put in loamy because we don't want to create more waste. And um, this year on the, at, the, at the farm stand, we're selling plantings. Uh, my wife has a great sort of eye for how to find all sorts of unique stuff. Not the same tomatoes you find everywhere, not the same strawberries you find everywhere, et cetera. And so we sell these plantings and we're selling the loamy magic dirt. And I come to find out, Matt, from your marketing folks that uh-huh. um, we're the first farm in the world that that you know of. Is this correct? To sell loamy dirt? Yep. I've not heard of it yet. Uh, we get people who gift it like to, you know, parents, whatever. You're the first person I've heard that's actually figured out how to sell it, which is super cool. Cause like we think there's a huge category in the output. Uh, don't know how to do it yet. Well, There's a lot of economic value in what comes out of a, of, out of a loamy. Absolutely. And so this this sort of brings up an interesting thing to go back to the capitalism, entrepreneurship, innovation kind of paradigm. And I was joking with you about this before. You know, my uh, mother-in-law, who's in her 80s, you know, we got them a loamy, thanks to you guys. And she wasn't always good about using it. You know, new habits to, to the discussion we had a, a bit yeah. ago. Yeah. And once we were able to explain to grandma, grandma, if you put this in the composter, which is where they put it, the normal compost, it's compost for us. That's great. But if you put it in the loamy, we make money. Well, now grandma uses her loamy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's four bucks, five bucks, though. She'll take it. Right. Um, And I'll tell you, as a small family farm, you know, look, there's a reason there are no other farms in San Jose, because the economics make no sense, right? Yeah. And so if you're trying to, continue. I mean, we've been there since 1945 and we want to continue for multiple generations past this. Um, the only way to do that is to figure out literally every possible way that's valuable yep. to make money. Yep. And totally. so it's, you know, is it going to be a huge money maker for the farm? No, but it's a little extra. It increases LTV wow. a little extra and, and the customers love it, Matt. Yeah. The, 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 I don't know if I shared this with you, but the and this is the wonderful part about category design is like you, there's so many, once you really dip, dig into it, there are so many ways that you can expand the category, right? Um, 
you know, so for Lomi, I mentioned that we're all the science is saying like, this is a very, very highly valuable output, right? Um, we did the math on this recently. Every single Lomi out there in a typical family is making between 80 and a hundred dollars a year in fertilizer in a natural organic fertilizer. So if you were to like put 10 million of these things out in the world, right? Into homes, that's 80 to a hundred dollars of value that you could turn your food waste into. So like what we have is a reverse logistics challenge, you know, which is like, how do you make it easy to, to extract that value? Frankly, most people now, they just use what comes out in their own gardens and on their lawn. And, and that's like what we expected, right? But long-term, if you were to like, look at like zoom way out, go out in the future, there's a real world here where like we have multiple ways in which to transform food waste into economically valuable parts of the, the sort of like food supply chain. Um, and that's kind of like, that lights me up. Like there's so much to do. Well, you, I start to think about restaurants and cafeterias and, and the totally. like, and you so assume the throw, the throwaway food numbers are relatively similar for them. Yes. Yep. And Pretty big. I'm not an expert in that industry, but last time I checked the margins in restaurants were not high and the success rates of restaurants were not high. So look, yep. is it going to, is it going to save a restaurant? Maybe not, but a small incremental, um, revenue source that takes an expense, which is food that didn't benefit a customer because it's going to be thrown out that is now going to harm yep. the planet and turn it into a little bit of a um, little bit of revenue. I don't know. As my friend Jay Larson likes to say, what's not to like about that? I know. Yeah. 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 Just, it's literally just an operational execution problem, uh, which as we've discussed, you know, execution problems are the best problems to have. Okay, so maybe let's go there and, and we can end there because uh, I know you got to sure. roll. But, you know, there's 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 a couple of really big risks, of course, for startups. One of them is category slash market risk. You know, is there yep. a market for this slash can we create a category for this? Um, and then if you prove that, that's the big one. But then once you prove that, you've got to prove that you can scale as 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 a company into meeting the demand. And for the first I don't know, you'll tell me six to nine months of, of Lomi's uh, existence, you guys couldn't fulfill all the orders, right? Yeah, we had, we, we had proven there was demand. Um, what we did not prove, because we just didn't ship for so long, because um, we were in pre-order for over a year, right? Like you were, it's like Tesla, like we were taking deposits, but we weren't shipping anything. Um, so in that time, it's like, you have no problem proving demand. What we could not prove was like, how did people respond to the product when it's in their home? How often do they use it? What are the issues? What kind of customer service questions? Like all the operational crap that you get when you finally like get real users. So there's, there's a real difference between demand and like rubber meets the road, you know, implementation. Um, and that like that gap where those two things start to meet is what I call market risk. Right. And yeah, for the for the first while, like there's a reason why we're venture capital backed is because we had real market risk, right? It's like, is this a thing? Yeah, you you can sell a lot, but like, can you make them? Are people going to like them? Are they going to come back and be a good customer? Like, there's so much market risk there. We're now fortunate that like we're past market risk and we're into execution risks, which is like, how do you scale it up? Yes. How do you go from 150,000 houses to 10 million? to 20 million, like where 
you know, you're starting to take meaningful chunks of, of household penetration. One other thing. You've sure. raised money from a, a cadre of interesting investors. And yeah. I got to believe your most famous and wo- most well-known investor is yeah. one of the greatest uh, hip-hop legends of all time. And so uh, can you share a little bit of the story of how Jay-Z got involved with the company? Yeah. So our lead is Marcy Vetra Projects, which is uh, Jay-Z and Jay Brown and Larry Marcus are the the three GPs over there. Um, we got introduced to them through another investor of ours in Toronto, Tom Kennedy, years ago when we had Peel a Case. Um, the thing that's been, I mean, the interesting thing with those guys uh, is they their investment thesis is purely cultural. It's like, where do we think culture is going? And that's where we deploy dollars. Um, and so when I first met Jay Brown, right, which is the guy that runs Rock Nation, he's like one of the business halves of Jay-Z. Jay Brown's brilliant. Uh, that was like, that, that was the thing that stood out to me. It was like, what he cared about was like, I think culture is going here. So, you know, we believe in this, we'll invest in this. And it was super fast. Um, and they've been great partners, like really great partners. And when, when do we get to go backstage at a concert? That's what I want to know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, I'm, I'm wondering too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're, they're quite savvy. Uh, it'd be very impressive to work with for sure. Very cool. Anything else you want to touch on before we wrap, Matt? No, man. We've been all over the place. It's a lot of fun. Thank you, brother. And thank you so much for including me in your legendary company. Um, You're the kind of entrepreneur that I always dreamed about. And (laughs) No, really. A a truly world-changing opportunity to make an exponential amount of good happen in the world and make a, a ton of money doing it. And that's a legendary entrepreneur and you and your partners are that. And um, I've loved getting to know you and, and, you know, being able to work together on this. Yeah. Thanks, man. Appreciate the kind words. It's been a lot of fun. This has been, it's been a minute coming. So it's good good to chat with you. Thanks, brother. That was the legendary Matt Bertulli. You can find out everything about Matt and the Lomi at Lomi.com. And while you're there, don't forget to buy one or five for yourself and your closest friends and family. We'd like to thank Matt for joining us, and we'd also like to thank you. Thank you for pressing that play button and joining us for today's legendary conversation with Matt. And remember the legendary people at the American Wild Horse Campaign. They work to keep wild horses and burrows wild, protected, and free. To find out more and donate generously, go to AmericanWildHorseCampaign.org. And we'd like to thank our friends at Clary. Go to Clary.com to learn how to stop revenue leak, drive breakthroughs in the way you govern, and collaborate on revenue. And want to conquer your category? Partner with Atranet to reinvent your web presence. Atranet has been delivering category-defining websites for B2B technology companies since 1996. That's Atre.net, Today's information is provided to you solely for informational purposes. This oddcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network, and it contains content known to the state of California to cause radically different, non-obvious thinking, new categories, and exponential results. All oddcasts contain nuts, all rights disturbed. Please contact your doctor, lawyer, accountant, priest, sorcerer, medicine man, shaman, and category designer before acting on any of today's information. Your spouse texted and said it's okay. You can subscribe to Category Pirates at CategoryPirates.com. And honey, while you're there, make sure you order your copy of The 22 Laws of Category Design. This podcast is produced and edited by Jason DeFilippo, me. 
Sarah Knox and Jamie J do technical execution and keep the website a pumpin'. Show notes by GM Simon. RJ and EX Bobus do our web development, and Cedric Biros does our graphic and web design. Our law firm is Weed and Jack. Our accountants are three balance sheets to the wind. We record on Squadcast.fm using Dolby ADHD technology. Katie Lang was right. Listen to Blue Rodeo. And on the seventh day, God looked down and said, Get out of the passing lane! Teach kids mental health. Thanks, Candy Dandy. And hey, Colin, this oddcast really ties the room together. Our deepest, deepest, deepest condolences this week go out to Sam Bankman-Fried. Sorry, Sammy, we just ran out of time for you. Till next time, stay safe, stay legendary, and follow your different.